great to be here with you again this morning. My name's Simon, one of the leaders here, and it's my joy to continue in our series in 2 Corinthians, looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Now, like any series that you watch, there are reoccurring themes. There's baddies that reappear, and in this case, in this book, sins that reappear. So to get you in the mindset of series and that sort of thing, I'm going to play a little game of guess the next movie. And if you guess it right, you get a chocolate. So you have to put your hand up, you can't shout out. Okay, so if I say Star Wars A New Hope, yes, come forward. Empire Strikes Back. Have a whisper bar. Look at that. Okay. If I say... These are easy ones, these first two. If I say uh, Lord of the, the Rings, uh, Two Towers. Tom? Return of the King. Okay. Slightly harder now, though. Not if you're younger. Uh, Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Oh, nay. Mocking Jay, Yes. Okay, if I was to say divergent, people would say, uh, yes, Abby? No, insurgent, yes, okay, you can have that one over there. And uh, Abby, you guess the next one right, which is allegiant, so uh, you can have one as well over there. Sorry if I hit anyone with these, uh, but okay. So to recap quickly on what has happened in Corinth so far. Corinth is an important Roman city. It was completely, it's a Roman city in Greece, completely destroyed by the Roman Empire in BC 146 and rebuilt in 44 BC by Julius Caesar due to its strategic importance. There's a map up there. You can see how important it is on just that narrow stretch of land that separates uh, South Greece from North Greece there. It was a dangerous journey to sail round the south, so many sailors would park up on the east or west side of Corinth, unload their cargo, and if the ship was small enough, even take the ship itself across that six kilometres of land over to the other side. It also was the only land route to southern Greece, Achaia, as it was known. So you can see it's important. It was known as a cosmopolitan city where there was lots of worship of the old Greek gods there. It's also known for its immoral behavior that went on. I'd encourage you to revisit online all the um, overviews that we have given of uh, 1 Corinthians to get your mind back into some of, the, uh, some of the themes that we covered from the first letter to the Corinthians. They can be found on our website. But according to Acts chapter 18, Paul, after leaving Athens, goes down to Corinth. He meets up with a couple called Priscilla and Aquila, who are fellow tent makers. So they build tents together whilst he's uh, to make money, and he preaches on the Sabbath. When his colleagues Silas and uh, uh, Timothy join him, he uh, gives up working and focusing, focuses solely on preaching the word. He then gets thrown out of the synagogues. But no worry, his friend, unfortunate name, Titius Justus, but fortunate location, he lives right next door to the synagogue. So that the church start meeting in his house. The Lord tells Paul that he has many people in that city in a vision one night. So Paul says, okay, I'll stay here for 18 months preaching 
the word of God. He, he then uh, goes back to his sending church in Antioch and uh, reports back how things are going there. On his third missionary journey, while he's in Ephesus, Paul writes to them a letter. And uh, this letter causes some confusion. So they write back to him with a, another letter saying, what, what do you mean by this, this, and this? And also send some people to ask him questions. His response to that letter is our book, 1 Corinthians, which we looked at all the way up until just before the summer. After, after that um, response, he says, um, look, I'm not going to rush my visit to you because I can see there's some tensions here. I'll come when I can spend a lot of time with you. I'll send Timothy and uh, he can remind you of my ways. However, we don't know what happens, but something goes wrong. And uh, so Paul has to change his plans and he rushes to see them. And there's this real painful encounter that he has with the Corinthian church where they verbally attack him. And he leaves and writes them a snotty, severe letter, as it is known uh, as. Thankfully, that letter is lost, although some people say it's preserved in the second half of 2 Corinthians, but probably not. And we'll look at that uh, later. But, um, uh, and so he sends Titus to them, and Titus is probably the one who took this severe letter to them, telling uh, them off, basically. And then Titus comes back uh, with some good news for Paul, that actually they've re repented, they've had a change of heart, and they're now looking to him on the whole, um, not all of them, but well, the majority, are looking to him for his leadership again, which is at this point... He writes to Corinthians, this letter that we have today. The majority of the church he is pleased with. So that's the tone of the first half of the letter. The second half is where he gives a strong warning to those that are still being um, obtuse and uh, difficult. J.I. Packer says, Second Corinthians is the most poignant of all Paul's letters. For we meet him as an almost heartbroken pastor emotionally wrought, it seems though through his combined pressure of illness, persecution, the Corinthians' coolness towards him and his anxiety about the Judaizers stealing Corinthian hearts, Paul speaks with unrestrained passion. Second Corinthians is a Christ-centered letter and what sticks in the reader's mind most vividly is Paul's celebration of divine sovereign grace and supernatural empowering and we want some more of that ourselves don't we more supernatural empowering and divine sovereign grace Paul then makes his third visit to the Corinthians and he spends three months with them and it's there that he writes that wonderful letter to the Romans in about AD 57 Calvin says it should always be noted that Paul recognizes the existence of a church even where there is so much wrong with it. Now, I didn't pay any of those guys to say anything that they did. We didn't prep them in any way. But my friends, the truth is, it's lovely that they've praised us, but the truth is, you will not find a perfect church this side of eternity. Why? Because you're not perfect. And nor am I. So don't worry, I'm not saying I am, but you are. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm definitely not. And nor are you in fact. But before God, thanks to Jesus 
Christ. You and I are, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are righteous before God. You've been forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. Not your own actions, but his actions. He who knew no sin took on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us. Yet this side of eternity, we, through the power and help of the Holy Spirit, have to put to death our sinful nature. And that's a constant battle. We have to daily turn to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness of our sins, which are not just deeds done, but are thoughts and motives of our hearts. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 10 makes that clear. We must also forgive one another as they wrong us. The Lord's Prayer tells us that in Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 14 and 15, he makes it really clear that we need to, to do that. That's part of being in church life. Wonderful you guys had such a great reception. Know that you will have to forgive some of us some of the time as well. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, that is, that's church life this side of eternity. That said... It does seem apparent that the Corinthian church had more than their fair share, if you like, of trouble. And that was partly due to poor leadership. Paul's response to this is sin mustn't be tickled and tolerated. It must be dealt with. Okay? And that's our response as well as people today. We mustn't tickle and tolerate sin. It's, oh, it's all right, it's not really that bad. We must deal with it and we put it to death in our own lives and we challenge it where we see it in our friends as well. My friends, this book, like your life, fits into a bigger story than just you. Your life is bigger than just you. You were made for eternity. And through Christ Jesus, God has called you to extend his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to make an eternal impact through your life. Say that to the person next to you. God wants to make an eternal impact through your life. It's true. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's true. God wants to do that. Learn from the Corinthians, and actually from this COVID time, and I'll touch on that in a bit more uh, at, at the end, not to get distracted by worldly things. Live for Christ and give yourself to serving his kingdom. Jesus Christ says this in Luke 21, verses 34 to 36. He says, watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. By dissipation, he means giving yourself over to sensual and sexual pleasure, being distracted by money, that sort of thing. Don't be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. But stay awake at all times. doesn't mean physically stay awake, but in your heart and in your soul. Praying that you may have strength to escape these things. You escape these things by giving yourself to God in prayer and seeking him. And by giving your time and energy to serving the Lord Jesus. John Calvin wrote that it's clear 
From the opening of this letter, the apostle did not live for himself, but the church. Paul uses a standard way of writing a letter, similar to how other letters were written back then, but he thoroughly Christianizes it. And again, this is a challenge to you and I, that as we go about our daily lives, our normal work, we should go about it and thoroughly Christianize it by pointing people to Jesus in all that we do. Calvin goes on to say, you see, where there is no Christ, there is no blessing. But where Christ is, there is blessing forevermore. Amen? Amen. So let's read 2 Corinthians after I've just given you that little bit of an introduction to it. There, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Note how in the first letter, he just writes to Corinth. Now it's to Corinth and Achaia. The church has grown in the two years. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us re rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Hallelujah. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on, behalf, on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Some great words to us there that we can glean as a church. Obviously written to the Corinthians, but we can apply things to us. There's grace, there's peace, there's blessing, there's hope in Christ Jesus that we have and they had because of him. Most notably, we can come to God as our God and Father, verse 2, just as he was Jesus' God and Father, verse 3. Or sorry, the other way around, verse Three and two, if you look at that. But the key theme that Paul wants us to note right from the beginning here is it revolves around those two words of comfort and 
affliction. So to help you remember the key theme of comfort and affliction, I thought we would play a nice game of comfort and affliction. Who's up for that then? Okay, yep, good, good, okay. Right, so who is prepared, now I'm sorry, you have to be over 18 for this, who is prepared to be afflicted for the comfort of this dairy milk bar? Grant, okay Grant, come here, this is great. Actually, can I borrow that pen down there, Tom? Can you just sign here a second, Grant, just before we... Uh, uh, it's just don't need to read it. You just sign. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> great. Come and stand on the stage just up here. That's great. You can even hold your comfort. Don't eat it yet. I'll just tell you what you've signed. It says, I, the below, sign to waive any rights I may have to compensation should I, hurt, should I get hurt in this game of comfort and affliction on the 5th of September. Oh, small print. Furthermore, if I am fatally injured, <laughs> oh, this is nice, I give all my belongings and wealthy wealth to Christchurch Helsham. <laughs> Thank you, Grant. We won't leave your children destitute. Don't worry, don't worry. So, if you can just take hold of this electric wire, please. <laughs> no, 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 no. Who wants to afflict Grant? <laughs> oh, Duncan, yeah, Jacob, okay, yeah, and Muster, you can come forward. Okay, watch the golf balls that are in here, though. Don't throw them at the face. Okay, so basically, you can throw these at Grant as much and as hard as you like. And let's cheer on the comfort and affliction game, okay? <laughs> you can... There's no golf balls, really, Anna, don't worry. It's not going to hurt his face. But you can, you can cover yourself, Grant, as well, if you want. But... Uh, <laughs> Go. Oh, let's cheer them on. I say, I say, he agreed to this, this affliction. <laughs> That's it. You don't have to throw it lightly. That's it. He, he signed a waiver, so if he gets hurt, don't worry. Trustees are quite happy now. It's okay. Uh, oh, is that... <laughs> Okay, okay, let, let's leave it there. People are saying it's mean, I don't know, I don't know. Here you go, guys. The afflictors, you can have some chocolate as well. There you go, well done, Grant. That's it, that's it, done. Let's cheer Grant for, for his affliction that he was willing to take for the comfort of a large dairy milk bar. I don't know what that says about Grant, but there you go. Particularly as he didn't know what he was going to be afflicted for. I suppose there must have been some trust that it wouldn't be too bad, but anyway... Uh, now, it's important to realise about these words of comfort and affliction that it's not just limited to an external situation. Yes, we are comforted by God by being delivered from deadly perils, verse 10 makes clear. Also, there's the fact that we know that one day Christ will return and right every wrong and the present sufferings will not be worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to you and to me, Romans 8, 18. But this comfort and affliction, it's, it's clear there in the, in the wording as well, in the Greek, that Paul refers to is also internal thoughts and feelings as well. And you know, during this time of COVID, many of us have, have uh, had, if you like, our uh, internal emotions and feelings affected by this. Some of you may still be struggling today through, that, through this or the current pandemic or other things as well. You're robbed of that inner 
peace that you once had? My friends, the answer is Jesus. He is the one who gives you peace. And Paul knows that. You see, Paul, it says here, he despaired of his life. He felt, not that he had, but he felt like he had received a death sentence, verse 8 and 9. Some say that the language here is so strong, it's like the Apostle Paul had almost had a mental breakdown. We don't often think of like that about Paul, do we? Because he seems so robust and so strong. But that's what they say about the language here. But Paul, when faced with this internal and external affliction, he knew where to go. He threw himself on Jesus, the one who he knew could raise the dead. And my friends, he received comfort from God for his affliction. And you and I, as believers, we get comforted by God himself when we come to him with our troubles, with our difficulties. Verse 3 makes clear. My friends, in this life, you will face affliction. You will face suffering coming your way. Some of it just because you live in a fallen world. Some of it because you choose to live for Jesus. Jesus makes that clear. He says, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? John 15 verse 19. In this world, you will, not you might, you will have trouble. John 16 verse 33. The Apostle Paul writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Apostle Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange, 1 Peter 4, 12 says. You know, the health and wealth gospel that sometimes gets preached is not based on New Testament teaching of the present reality of life that we face here on earth. Theologian Colin Cruz says this, God comforts us by delivering us out of affliction and strengthening grace in affliction. You see, it's not a worldly comfort that Paul is talking about here, that you, you know, the life is easy, you have all the material things that you want, that you can enjoy, you know, sort of worldly peace and security around you. Some of these things we're taught to pray, told to pray for, some of these things are actually some of the things that Jesus warned us about in Luke 21, about not to get distracted by. Biblical comfort, my friends, comes from the God's presence with us, sometimes to deliver us, sometimes to give us strength to go through the trial that we have. His Holy Spirit is the comforter. John 14, verse 16, the same Greek word used there to describe the, the comforter, the helper, the spirit who is coming, is actually related to this word for comfort. He, the Holy Spirit, he delivers, he strengthens, he comforts, he helps you in times of need. It's his presence with you that helps you know the presence of God in difficulties. So like Paul, you can continue to extend the kingdom of God even when you're going through hard times. William Barclay 
says this on this passage. It is always costly to be a real Christian, for Christianity is not true Christianity without the cross. Very uh, important words there. However, it's important to note that God is not ambivalent or unbothered by your suffering. It's not like, well, you know, don't, don't, I'm not worried about that. Actually, his heart is caught up with you as well. He always has a purpose in everything that you go to. But like a loving father, he wants you to know his comfort and love in those trials as well. For those Christians that we know are suffering in Afghanistan at the moment, and actually anywhere in the world where there's dreadful atrocities being done against them because of Jesus. Do you know, there's actually great comfort in knowing that the wrongs done to them will be righted when Christ returns. Justice will be done either through Jesus taking on himself the punishment for those people as they turn to him, or if they choose to reject Christ, then they themselves will bear that guilt before God. Either way, sin gets punished. It's just who receives that punishment depends on what someone does with Jesus. For us in the room today, we can take comfort in knowing that your life is in your heavenly Father's hands, who loves you. God has given you his Holy Spirit to help you in these difficult times. His Son, Jesus, has made a way for you to experience God's blessing, even in difficult times, but to experience his blessing through this life into life eternal, where there will be no afflictions and no sin. My friends, we need to maintain that eternal perspective. That will help comfort you when things are different, difficult. That will help you stand firm when you face trials. Now, I think it's important, I just highlight before I finish, that the current affliction that we're still in, it's not fully over yet, of this whole COVID uh, pandemic, has affected everyone in some way. It's been a great leveller, if you like, it's a worldwide pandemic. Loved ones sadly lost, our health affected. All of us, to some degree, our emotional and mental tank has been slightly depleted through this time. And the answer, my friends, Paul would say, is throw yourself onto Jesus, onto his grace, who raises the dead, verse 9. Receive his comfort in your spirit. There's fresh grace to receive it today. But also, be aware that your energy levels, your emotional tank, will be slightly lower than it was two years ago. It drains us being in a time of trial. So give yourself some grace. Be, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up thinking, oh, I used to be able to do all this and that, and I just haven't got the energy to do as much as I used to. Some of, most of us, it will come back in time. And now we have our time back in our hands. Now these restrictions have gone and we're slightly uh, more in control of our time. Let's not fail to learn the lessons that your Heavenly Father has had for us during this time as well. God can do more in the quiet 
than we can with all our noise and all the things that we try to do in our own strength. It would be tragic that as you sort of rebuild your life and your timetable in your life, that you fill it with the noise of worldly things rather than the things of God. Prioritize your time with God. Prioritize your time with your family and to reaching out to your friends and neighbors for Jesus, to serving the things of God that he has for you. As a church, you know, there's lots of great stuff happening and there'll be more stuff that God causes to raise up. People are bubbling with more ministries that God's given them to do and that's fantastic. But, you know, and God will call some of you to get involved in that and that's great. Go for it when he does. But he's not going to call all of us to be involved in all of it. So just be aware of that too. As elders, we would encourage you to prioritize Sunday mornings and midweek life group groups. Because as of the earliest of times, the church met in the temple courts and in people's homes. You get to experience the church and Christianity in the big setting and in the smaller setting as well. Once a month, we, as life groups, gather on a Monday night to pray. This week, we've got a week of prayer, slightly different, but normally, it's a Monday night. We gather as life groups to pray. Prayer is a priority. We need to give time uh, for that. So make sure that's part of your schedule. Paul says in verse 11 that through their prayers, he knows that God's power is released to change situations. Once a month as well, we've been encouraging you now for the, the last year, usually during when the, when the uh, um, prayer night is on, so it's not like an extra busy thing in your schedule, that we start gathering in smaller discipleship groups. And because uh, Jesus said to make disciples, not converts. Now, Sunday morning and our life groups are all part of the process of that discipleship um, process. But these smaller groups enable you to be challenged and to challenge people and to spur others on into Christ-like maturity in a deeper way. There will be other things that God calls you to do, um, that to get involved with as well. And do it with all your might. But don't over-busy yourself in this time. Leave room for God. Do what God has called you to do, not what you feel a pressure to do at this time. It's fine, you know, the Bible says, it's fine to push yourself physically in the service of the Lord. In fact, Anna unpacked that when she preached on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. The word there, labour, means to work until you are physically weary in the Lord. But you should never push yourself to your spiritually exhausted, you're spiritually drained. You've only got so much in, if you like, your emotional and your spiritual tank. And that, as you pour that out, you must never get to the point where there is none left, because then you will burn out, you will break down, you may even backslide. It's a danger. So never allow yourself to get spiritually exhausted. Always. And that's why we're encouraging those uh, things that I just encouraged of Sunday mornings, life groups, discipleship, prayer meeting. Because there are times where you constantly get filled up. And then as you're filled up, you can continue to fill up the others. Slightly messy here, but 
But yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, spirit of God watering other areas as well. I'm just my bad pouring as well. But never mind. You get the point, don't you? God wants to continually replenish you as you serve him and as you give out so that you can be refreshed in your serving as you, and you can bring his comfort to the world around us. Jesus wants to use you to minister to the world around us. There's a world out there that needs the hope of the gospel, that needs to receive the comfort that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And thanks to Jesus, you can be comforted by God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who enables you to stand firm, extend his kingdom and offer his comfort to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the worship band back up? That would be great. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus and you're wanting to receive from him afresh, you're wanting to surrender your life to him and say, okay, I want, I want this. I want to know that forgiveness. I want to know that hope that goes beyond the grave. Just just pray this prayer along with me now in your heart. God knows what you're thinking. Just pray this along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all that I've done that offends you. And help me to live the rest of my life for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.